This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. We read from God's Word this morning in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. We read beginning in verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. The first part of Matthew 18, I remind you, shows Jesus' warning about offending the little ones. And those who offend one of these little ones, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the midst of the sea. And the second part of Matthew 18 shows us how to reconcile with a brother who has sinned against us and the three Steps of going personally to him, and then with one or two witnesses, and then with the church. And then comes verses 21 through 35, related to reconciliation is forgiveness. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times... Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So, when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. On the basis of God's Word, we have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 51. 
Lord's Day 51, it's instruction on the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is the fifth petition. The answer of our confession, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, that is, be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood, not to impute to us poor sinners our transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to us, even as we feel this evidence of thy grace in us, that it is our firm resolution from the heart to forgive our neighbor. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we remember in this month the 16th century Reformation, the Reformation of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Reformation which brought forth many benefits that we enjoy today as a Reformed Church here in this place. And as you know, the most important doctrine about which the Reformation was is the truth of justification by faith alone, the heart of the gospel, that doctrine upon which the church stands or falls, justification by faith alone. We know that truth, that God justifies the ungodly, as Romans 4 says, we who are of ourselves ungodly enemies of God, that by nature, God the righteous judge declares righteous, perfect, as if we have never sinned and just as if we have obeyed the law completely. And the only basis, the only reason that we can be justified that way is Jesus Christ, for He came in our place as our substitute. And He is the one that obeyed the whole law with His whole heart, mind, soul, and strength as our substitute. And He is the one while obeying all of God's commandments suffered throughout His life and especially on the cross to endure all the punishment due us for our sins. He is the basis for that justification, the only basis. And for His sake then, God declares that righteousness to us through faith. Only through faith do we and can we hear God declare that to our souls personally. Reformation was about that personal justification to our souls through faith. And so God in His mercy, we know, has given us that gift of faith, bound us to Jesus Christ, and worked in us this trust, this knowledge and trust of Jesus Christ, our righteousness. So that faith itself does not justify, but faith is the instrument through which we receive or hear God the Judge declare us righteous. Through faith alone, without works. This is a truth we know. This is a truth that I've preached on again and again in this Reformed Church and will be preached on again and again here. And yet as we hear that familiar doctrine of justification by faith alone, 
in a month that we celebrate this Reformation, we need to grow and develop in our understanding of this doctrine of justification. Not to come up with something new. No, not develop in that sense. But to understand more deeply what God's Word and the confessions say about this truth. As Reformed people, it should be so precious to us we want to study and grow in this truth or doctrine. The Reformers said, remember, that we must be Reformed and always being Reformed or always reforming. There must be. And so even reforming, coming to a better understanding of the truth of justification, a deeper understanding. And today we seek to do some of that. I take you a little deeper into this truth of justification. And in doing so, I will reveal with you different aspects of justification that should be very real to you as a believer. And then we focus on that aspect of justification which we call, and Jesus calls, forgiveness. Forgiveness. The repeated, subjective experience of the child of God after he has fallen into sin again and again. He hears the reassuring word of God to his soul. I forgive you. You are righteous in Jesus Christ. That we receive in the way of prayer. Regularly, Jesus teaches us to pray for this forgiveness of God. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Notice this simple point in the introduction that this fifth petition is a petition. We are asking God for something when we pray, forgive us our debts. We're actually asking God to do something for us. We do not mean merely thanks for past forgiveness. Though we do thank Him for that. But we are pleading for Him to forgive. And so I ask you, beloved, as you think through the sermon this morning, do you know what you are asking for? Do you know what you are asking for? What do you ask for when you say, forgive us or forgive my sins? Are you asking for anything? Perhaps one of the most repeated petition often done without Meaning, and it ought not be, as Reformed Christians, is this petition of forgive me, forgive us. Let's consider that, along with the explanation of the Catechism under the theme, praying for forgiveness, first God's forgiveness, so God's forgiveness of us, and then second, our forgiveness of each other, and then We end with a prayer for it. God's forgiveness of us first. To help us understand the fifth petition, it is important to distinguish, not separate, but distinguish, make distinct in our minds what is called justification and what is called 
forgiveness. Justification is, more broadly speaking, is a broader concept, and forgiveness is a narrow aspect of it. More on that in a few moments. But I reveal for you the doctrine of justification more broadly before we narrowly focus on forgiveness that we ask for in the fifth petition. Three, more broadly now, three glorious truths about justification for which we thank God on this day. And yet three glorious truths that we are not specifically or precisely praying for in the fifth petition. First, as you know, one of the most comforting truths is the doctrine of election. Election. That God from eternity has judged us in His own mind. He has judged us as His people righteous in Jesus Christ. What a gospel of election. Numbers 23.21 says, He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. That's how he sees in his mind. That's how he sees the church and each one of his people. For he has chosen them, eternally loved them in Jesus Christ from before the foundations of the world. We thank God and praise Him for this election that we call unconditional because it is not that He sees us and then sees ahead in time and foresees that we will do good works and on the basis of our works or even on the basis of our faith that He sees us as righteous. No. But unconditionally, that is from eternity, He sees us as righteous merely of His grace in Christ. We celebrate that. We praise God for that. We can call that even eternal justification. Eternal forgiveness. We may speak of it as such. And yet, having said that, I want you to notice that this is not what we ask for in the fifth petition. We're not asking God to elect us. He has already elected us from eternity. That should be very obvious. We're not merely praying, thanking God for election. The fifth petition is not a request for election or an expression of gratitude for election. We plead for something. Secondly, let's consider the wonderful truth of Christ's atonement. Atonement. That's another glorious truth. Election and now atonement. Objectively, 2,000 years ago about, at the cross of Jesus Christ, He paid for our righteousness or justification. That's Romans 3.24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Or Romans 5 verse 9, we are now justified, now justified by His blood. His blood has already justified us. That is, for each and every one of His elect people, no more than that, no less than that, for each of His elect people, Jesus has fully paid for justification and 
every aspect of salvation. He did so by living a perfect life of obedience, as we said. He did so by suffering completely for all of our sins. And on that resurrection day, when God raised Jesus from the dead, that was a confirmation of what He had said on the cross. Indeed, it is finished. It is finished. I have paid, His resurrection declares. I have paid fully, completely, for all of salvation, for all of my people. We celebrate that today. Even willing to speak of it as justification completed at the cross, or forgiveness completed at the cross, because that's where He paid for it. And yet, notice, that is not what we're praying for in the fifth petition. We're not asking God to make atonement with His blood for our sins again. That's done 2,000 years ago. In fact, it's a Roman Catholic heresy that says that. You remember the whole Roman Catholic teaching that there needs to be a sacrifice again and again for the sins that we recently committed. And so you pray, forgive us our debts, the Roman Catholic would say, for that atoning work. And then you have to go to Mass where you get the answer or the response to that request. And there's a re-sacrifice or atoning work of Jesus Christ again on the altar in their church. That is not what we pray for. Christ's work, His one sacrifice is done. The Roman Catholic Church teaches a denial of the one sacrifice of Christ, as Lord's Day 30 says. So it can't be that we pray for atonement or that we pray for election, even though we celebrate those glorious truths. Third, and here's where I get deeper. There's election from eternity, there's atonement, and third, there is justification by faith at the first moment of faith. In time, at the first moment of faith, the elect child of God is officially declared righteous. God the judge in His courtroom of heaven brings down His gavel as it were and pronounces or declares the person who believes righteous. And when He does that in heaven, it sounds within the soul of the child of God who has faith. And that's official. There is a changing of status at that moment. A changing of status from guilty to not guilty. Unrighteous to perfectly righteous. And for each of His elect people who have been atoned for by Jesus Christ, God works faith in their hearts at a certain time and changes their status from guilty to righteous. When that happens, beloved, 
that status or state of justification can never change. Never changes. It's a once and for all act. Justification is that official declaration, Romans 3.25, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins. Romans 3.26, to declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness. Belgian Confession, Article 23, this becomes ours, that is, this righteousness becomes ours officially when we believe in Him. Some of us, many of us perhaps, might not remember that first time we believed. That first time God worked faith in our hearts and changed our status. We don't have to remember it. But He officially did that. Declared you not guilty. The Canons Head 5, Article 6 And explaining preservation speaks of that status or state of justification. and says this about it, that even though the believer, if he falls into grievous sin, can never forfeit his state of justification. It's permanent. Even if we wander into sin like that prodigal son after that status of justification has been given us, we can never lose it. We praise God for that today. We thank Him. Even if we do not remember that first moment. And yet, now I point out that when we pray the fifth petition, we're not praying for that first moment when God officially changed our status from guilty to righteous. So what do we pray for? When we ask for God to forgive our debts, we're asking God to repeat, to repeat to us what He has already officially declared to us. You are righteous. You are righteous. On the basis of Christ's work alone, I pardon, I forgive you. What He has determined from eternity in election, what He has earned for us at the cross, what He has already declared to us once and for all at the moment of faith, we are asking Him, tell us again. Or, assure us of this again. And by that word, assure, I don't mean just merely have, us, have this feeling inside of us. But assure us means speak that reassuring word. I forgive you. That's what we pray for in the fifth petition. And beloved, you see, you see your need for this, don't you? I see my need for this. You need to see your need for this. Every day you sin. Your sins rise up against you, prevailing day by day. 
Your conscience accuses you of your sin. It pricks you. You're guilty, your conscience says. You did it again. That's gross, that thought. And then Satan has his way to tempt you to despair by pointing you to your guilt. You hear his accusations. And so you pray. And thy mercy speak louder than my conscience. Speak louder than Satan and his accusations. Thunder upon my soul again that I'm righteous in Jesus Christ. Let my contrite heart rejoice and in gladness hear thy voice. That's what we pray for. That is not the labors of my hands. It's not my work. But in Jesus alone that I'm forgiven. Every day you sin and you would rather defend yourself. You would rather blame someone else. Look to your works for peace. And so you pray, God, be merciful and tell me again, not the labors of my hands, not my works. Jesus alone. Every day you're tempted to work and work and work at home and work at school and work in the job and work in the church and work to earn some good standing before men and some good standing before God. And in that way, you have experienced and I have experienced no peace, no peace. And so you pray, forgive without my work. Tell me, assure me that I'm already righteous. And that will never change, even if I don't work. In the sermon, God answers your prayer. He speaks to those who repent and believe. And you hear Him, don't you? I am thy Savior. Do not fear. For the sake of Christ's blood, the catechism says, not to impute to you, a poor sinner, your transgressions, nor that depravity which always cleaves to you. Son, daughter, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. That word forgive means to dismiss or to send away. And in that word, you hear, don't you? You hear something. A dismissal is not something silent. It's go. It's a declaration. I send it away. Forgiveness is the word to dismiss. Dismiss, you pray in the fifth petition. Send away. Not me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. My sins. Hold me. I dismiss my sins. And He does. I remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. I cast them to the depths of the sea. In my sight, you are whiter than snow. I remember them no more.
implied is a confession of sins. Those sins are transgressions, the catechism says. Notice the plural. Transgressions. Those are the actual sins which we commit in time. That proud look yesterday when you won. That deceitful word. That neglect of your family. That mean, uns- that mean and selfish thought. The actual sins of thoughts, words, and deeds. Those are transgressions and there are many, many more than the leaves which fall to the ground. Forgive, or pray, all, all those transgressions. Mechanism goes further. Not just those actual sins, but original sin. By, by saying this, the catechism says the, that depravity which always cleaves to us, that depravity is that old man, that sinful nature. That, that old man is constantly proud, even when you don't discern it. That old man is constantly wicked and hateful, even when you don't discern it. Every imagination of every thought of him is evil continually, even when you don't discern it. We pray, forgive that depravity which taints all of our good works, our best works. Forgive that depravity that cleaves to us. Dismiss it. Let it be heard in my consciousness. I forgive you. And dismiss not only the sins, but the debt. The debt. We pray, forgive us our debts. Debts are what you owe for your sins. And that debt, beloved, is so much greater than you can understand. You can't count all your sins, that's one thing. There's so many transgressions. You can't perceive the darkness, the shade of darkness of that old man, that's another thing. But here's another. The depth of hell, the pain of the punishment, that debt you owe, that you cannot fathom as well. It's a price impossible for a mere human to pay. For our sins we owe God the infinite, the infinite suffering of His wrath. To illustrate that, Jesus told a parable of a servant in Matthew 18 who owed the king 10,000 talents. And in our day, we might not understand that, but 10,000 talents, children, is about $10 million. And I cannot, I cannot perceive that in my human brain. But one talent was equivalent to 17 and a half years of hard labor. 
17 and a half years of hard labor equals one talent. To earn 10,000 talents would take an ordinary laborer 150,000 years. It's impossible to pay that back, even though that servant of the king said, I'll pay it back. That's laughable. It's laughable that we ever think we can pay God back for our sins. It represents our sins of a debt accumulated so great we cannot even conceive of it. That is what we owe God the King, and this is what He says about them. In response to our prayers, forgive all your debt. The 10 million, more than a 10 million dollar debt. All those wages of sin washed away because here's the glory of Jesus Christ. He suffered that debt completely. What no human being could pay, He, both God and man, paid for at the cross and through His life. And more. Eternally, God says, I see you in, I see you in Christ at the cross. I paid for this fully. I declare that to you at faith. And now again, to declare your forgiveness, I tell you, I forgive you. More than that $10 million debt, you owe nothing and more. I give you everything. As my sons and daughters in Jesus Christ, blessings all thine and 10,000 besides. We pray God forgive our debts. And He answers. And those who truly know and believe this, will Forgive their debtors. Forgive us our debts, we pray. As we forgive our debtors. The same God who works in us. To know and believe this great forgiveness. Also works in us. Inevitably. To forgive one another. The powerful truth of forgiveness that comes to us through faith and settles in our bosoms will bring forth the fruit of forgiveness to each other. The Catechism teaches us that our forgiveness is evidence of God's forgiving grace in us. Even as we feel this evidence, and that evidence is referring to the evidence of our forgiving one another, as we feel this evidence of Thy grace in us. Forgiving one another, in other words, is a good work which we must do as a demonstration of that which God has done for us. And this is the point of Jesus' parable in Matthew 18 as well. 
In the parable, we find a servant who owed the equivalent of $10 million today, a debt that we that he could not pay and that we cannot pay. And this servant, having received forgiveness of a financial debt from the king, goes, we read, to a fellow servant who owed him, verse 28, and hundred pence. Literally, a hundred denarii. And one denarii there is one day's wages. One pence or one denarii. One day's wages. And so the debt is 100 days wages. Now, of course, that is still a significant amount. Still substantial. But compared to the 150,000 years of wages just forgiven, this debt of 100 days wages is small. But the unthankful servant refused to forgive his fellow servant this small debt. Took him by the throat, we read. Demanded payment, and when he could not pay, immediately cast him into prison. And the result, as we read in Matthew 18, was that the king heard about it, and he took this unthankful servant, and was wroth with him, and delivered him to the tormentors. So likewise, Jesus said, Jesus said, I don't say, Jesus says, So likewise, my heavenly Father shall do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. And by that, Jesus is not teaching, as some may twist him to teach, that our forgiveness is somehow the basis or reason for God's forgiveness of us. He is not teaching that our forgiveness is somehow the condition that God's forgiveness depends on. Do not misinterpret Jesus. Yet don't minimize Jesus either. He is teaching this. That the one who refuses to forgive demonstrates or gives evidence by that unforgiving spirit that he has not experienced God's forgiveness. And even this, one who never forgives has never experienced God's forgiveness and is on the way to hell. So that it is true. When one continues with bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, there may for a while, even if it's a child of God, there may for a while be a losing of the sense of God's favor and forgiveness. Not the state of it, if he has been declared righteous. Not his election. Not the atonement. But he may lose a sense of that forgiveness of God. 
First Peter or Second Peter one nine says that explicitly. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. When there is no forgiveness, when many suns go down upon our anger, when that root of bitterness remains, and the silent seething continues, and we hold a grudge, continue in resentment, insisting perhaps to others, I already forgave, but quietly unforgiving. You see how that is sin? It's what we read about in the summary of the law this morning. That is sin. And the longer that continues, there is a blinding and a deafening so that faith is inactive and cannot hear and receive that reassuring word unless there is repentance, a turning back to God to acknowledge that unforgiving spirit. Before, before you pray the fifth petition, the way that Jesus, with the words that Jesus taught us, you may need to pray first. Father, help me to forgive. Help me to forgive as I have been forgiven. Help me to recognize that that person's sins against me, though grievous, like a hundred denarii, so small, compared to my sins against thee that thou hast forgiven. Help me to forgive in my heart. Catechism helps us here with a firm resolution. That first is a firm resolution to forgive. That's the beginning of forgiveness. Then yes, help me to complete the forgiveness by declaring it to another who is repentant. And yes, sometimes, beloved, it is true. We cannot declare that, say it, reassure a brother or sister, I forgive you until, until there is repentance and confession. That is true. That doesn't mean we sit back and wait for it to come. We go to the brother, as the context of Matthew 18 says, to win him, to gain him. We seek their repentance and confession so that we might declare it to them, I forgive you. But that is what God does to us. If He were to sit back and wait for us to turn in repentance before He declared forgiveness to our souls, we would not turn. But He comes to us. He tells us our sins. Yes, with His chastising hand sometimes, but with His hand upon our soul to turn us as well. And true repentance. And then, in that way of repentance, He declares again, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. As we have been forgiven, forgive. Jesus teaches us to pray for forgiveness 
Notice first an implication, however. There's a striking, striking comparison that Jesus makes in this fifth petition between God's forgiveness and ours. I want you to notice the word as. Forgive us our debts as. As is not a word about timing. As is a word of comparison. We're not saying forgive us our debts when timing. In the timing that we forgive our debtors or after we forgive our debtors. That's not what Jesus teaches us to pray. But the word as is comparative. Forgive us like or in like manner. In a similar manner. Here's what's so striking about it. When we pray this petition, sometimes we think in this way. Help me to forgive as God has forgiven me. As God has forgiven me, help me to forgive. In the same manner that God has forgiven me, help me to forgive. But that's not what Jesus teaches He switches it around. It makes comparison the other way. Forgive me as, in like manner as I forgive my neighbor. So that, if you and I are not forgiving, We refuse to forgive, then we are essentially asking God not to forgive us. If we hold a grudge and call that forgiveness, we're telling God to hold a grudge against us because that's how we forgive. In other words, Jesus forms the fifth petition in such a way that we cannot pray it, we cannot pray it as He teaches us to pray it, unless we have a forgiving heart. firm resolution to forgive one another. Another implication of this fifth petition briefly is repentance and confession. One does not ask for forgiveness unless his heart is truly sorry. Humble, contrite. Children, forgive my sins is not a petition to pray like a parrot. Repeat after me. Adults, forgive my sins is not a petition to pray like a hyper-Calvinist. I know God already forgives me, so I don't have to ask. Forgive my sins is a plea. It's a plea out of a contrite soul. I am the sinner. And if anything, beloved, 
I'm the sinner that won't forgive another as I should forgive. I'm the sinner with a bitter spirit by nature. Confess that. I'm that self-righteous person that thinks my sin isn't as great as theirs, especially when it's committed against me. Forgive me for that. I'm sorry. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1 verse 9. This petition includes a repentant heart with a forgiving spirit. And finally, it's plural. Don't forget that. Forgive me, that's included. But forgive us. Forgive us, fellow sinners in the church of Jesus Christ here, corporately responsible for all kinds of sins. Forgive us as believers in all the world. Forgive us. Forgive us. As we, we forgive each other. We pray for the church. If the church is full of sinners, fellow sinners who don't hear God's forgiveness clearly, if the church is full of fellow sinners who are not forgiving each other, then we will be at war with God and war with each other. If you sense that, you better get on your knees sincerely. Forgive us. Us. As we forgive each other. Help us. That brother, that sister who has sinned against me too. Help them to hear God's reassuring word. That they are righteous. And that's another reason we better forgive them, isn't it? If God forgives them, who am I to hold their sins against them? Forgive us as we forgive one another. And when we consider the plural, we realize, don't we, how this petition is also from a heart of thanks. It's a petition very really, as I've emphasized. But it's a petition prayed even with a heart of thanks. Thanks for the salvation we do have in Jesus Christ. Because we're thankful for Father's love, we want His name to be glorified. How this petition specifically, the fifth petition, shows us how we want His name to be glorified out of a heart of gratitude. We want the gospel of His forgiving grace to be declared to us. We want the gospel of His forgiving grace to be reflected in us to each other. And that's for the glory of His name. And those who know the love of God
desire that. Let the God of forgiving grace be magnified here in us and by us. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father of free forgiveness, we praise Thee for Thy election of us, the payment of our salvation completely in Jesus Christ, the changing of our status from guilty to justified at the first moment of faith. And then again and again, we thank Thee for Thy repetition, the needed repetition of Thy voice to our souls, that Thou dost forgive us. Turn us, O God, from any bitterness, from any unbelief, to marvel Thy reassuring Word and to reflect Thy grace or forgiveness to one another, so that Thy name is hallowed, and Thy kingdom does come, and Thy will is done in this way of forgiveness. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.